Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was, to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. Today, I wanted to continue the discussion about testosterone in men. Later, as I said last time, we'll get to testosterone and things like PCOS and uh, in women because it's a slightly different context. There's a lot of similarities, but enough difference to just keep it as a separate topic. So this is about men and testosterone. So we covered last time that as a generalization that when men, as they age, their testosterone drops. That does not mean that age alone is the factor. That's just a correlation we find. So the problem with a lot of these generalities that we've come to accept as kind of baseline norm, the foundation upon which we kind of learn about other things, is that the diet for the last 80 years upon which these studies were done was a pretty high-carb diet. So that speaks to a population of men that are on a high-carb diet, high-carb, high-fat diet for the most part, and they had these results. So then if you change that generalization, that assumption to have them on a low-carb, high-fat diet, a ketogenic diet, you're going to change a lot of data. In fact, there's a group of doctors, many doctors now actually, that are very much pro low carb, high fat diet for a number of different conditions for life in general, that believe that a lot of what we think we know about medicine and what the norm normal ranges are for a number of different conditions down to hormones and biomarkers and just various blood tests will change significantly once you actually have people on as a norm, as their normal lifestyle, a low carb, high fat diet. So a lot of what we think we know, based on what I've just said, won't be relevant anymore. So put that in the back of your mind, that we're looking at new ground. So there isn't ever anything 10, 10 studies deep on a particular topic that has to do with low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diet and multiple sclerosis and or infertility and or they're related and there's some that are, have come up and really interesting but there's just not lots of studies as there are about other conditions. So when people report anecdotally in their Facebook group or whatever their group of people are that they talk to and saying, you know, this is what's happened to me, that may very well be 
their truth, and it may represent a whole category of people, but it's going to be a long time between before something like that actually gets to be formalized in a study. So it's just going to be someplace between anecdotal sharing of information and small groups of people, small by being ones and twos and threes and maybe fours and saying, here's what we've seen. There you go. Just the way it is. So given that, I wanted to paint the picture again, and I do think you need to know something of a little bit of a technical background. That is, when we talk about sex hormones, we're mostly talking about estrogens and androgens. We're not saying estrogen and testosterone only. Testosterone is part of the group called androgens. And there's one, two, three, four, five, six androgens generally. And arguably, you could say seven, two metabolites. So it's a family. For the most part, we do refer to it as testosterone. It is important, but testosterone is not the most male-oriented, the most androgenic male-causing hormone, and that would be 5-alpha-dihydrotestosterone, just so you know. So testosterone comes in different flavors, and the one we refer to as the testosterone is not the strongest one. Okay, that's the first thing out of the way. So it's a family of androgens. We're going to talk about testosterone for the most part, the actual testosterone. And also, even if we were talking about estrogens in men and women, and we know it's responsible for a lot of the woman's menstrual cycle and so on and so forth, and menopause is a big change in their estrogen levels. Well, all of estrogen comes from testosterone. So no matter what part of the story you want to focus in on, androgens, estrogens, different types of estrogens, the story has to start at testosterone. It has to start at the androgens because everything comes from that. They are manufactured, they are produced from an androgen. And for most of, mostly 90, I think it's 90 some odd percent of all estrogens come from testosterone. So last week we talked about how testosterone, as men get older, And as men get their beer belly, as men get to be overweight and obese and beyond that, that the rate at which testosterone is converted into estrogen is very fast. And so I asked you to think about the image of water going through a sieve, a a useless exercise. You go to the kitchen sink, you get your sieve, you turn on the faucet, you put the water through the sieve, and you see that basically all the water went through the sieve. That's exactly what happens with men as they get older. So it's not so much that they didn't have testosterone. What it was, was that they momentarily had testosterone before it converted into estrogen. So you'll find when I'm looking at through some of the hormone panels of the men that I work with, I find that, you know, they obviously work with me because they're overweight and they want to drop their weight. Actually, it's a bigger picture. And we have to look at these hormone levels, at least this panel to find out where we can help them lose the weight. Is there someplace else in addition to a low carb, high fat diet that we can help them lose the weight or bring up their metabolic health is really what we're talking about. So now we see that most men, at least that I have seen, have very low testosterone and very high estrogen. And so for those on testosterone replacement therapy, so now they're getting an outside. So they're producing some of their own. Now they're getting exogenous, outside additional testosterone, usually by a cream 
that they put on themselves. So they get their testosterone numbers up to a within normal range, and that range is pretty, pretty broad, that they end up getting a lot of estrogen. So as much as they have testosterone, they now even have more estrogen. And that's a problem. So let me pretend I'm an allopathic doctor, an MD, and you're coming to me as a guy, and you want me to give you testosterone therapy and give you my script, and off the way you go, or shots, however we're going to do it. And um, and if you're in the Northwest, it's a compounding pharmacy. So there's a lot of ways you can get your exogenous testosterone in you. So what what I would think about doing as just on that level, I would have to say, so what's going to be the consequences of this? If I'm only measuring your blood testosterone and that's it, and we get up to a certain level into the normal range, say, hey, I'm, I did my job. I'm great. I'm good. Well, I, I've also caused you a lot of problem because of all that estrogen, all that estrogen. So you really have to think about how are you going to support your body to help detoxify? All these things have to be broken down by the liver. So we can use the word detoxify, which really means it goes through the liver, the phase one, phase two. That's as much as I'm going to get into it on this podcast, but it gets broken down to the liver and sent out with the stools for the most part. Okay. And some metabolites with the urine. So we have to support the liver. We can't just say, here's your testosterone. Thank you very much. So if in the very least, as a partially enlightened doctor, if I said, let me help support your liver and even there, there's a number of choices, but now I'm helping with the estrogen metabolism, meaning making sure you don't peak out these huge levels and cause problems. And so there, at least that would be a balanced approach on that. So now let me take your awareness of this pretend doctor who's prescribing testosterone to you being the overweight, obese male, someplace in your, probably around the age of 50, between 40 and 65. And you're either coming to this doctor to A, lose weight, but more likely due to erectile dysfunction, ED, which obviously would be from the same cause of low blood level, serum level, free testosterone. Okay. Well, the next thing I would, I would do as a partially enlightened doctor is talk about, we have to slow down the process in which your testosterone is quickly converted over to the estrogen. And that's called aromatase. And we talked about that last week as well. So that's exactly where, and that's governed. That's governed by, if you think of volume level, uh, you know, volume knob on a radio or whatever. So Insulin is the volume knob on the aromatase and the aromatase takes your testosterone and changes it into estradiol. Boom. So if we turn down the volume, we are turning down the level of estrogen. In order for us to turn down the level of estrogen, we have to lower your, your chronic average level of glucose. So we are going to assume for the most part, 90% of overweight men are probably going to be pre-diabetic. It's not true for all, and there are exceptions, but let me just go with this cleaner, cleaner way of explaining it. So with this, we're turning down, we're, we're changing the diet. We're doing anything to take care of glucose levels, right? So that means we're dropping the carbs. No surprise there. 
And, and that is a big deal. So we go into ideally a ketogenic diet. It doesn't have to be. It can be low carb. But the goal here is less about ketones and more about just get the insulin levels down, lower, turn down the volume level that is pushing the testosterone through to estrogen. If we can do that, that's a really big win. Okay, so we talked about two things. If you get testosterone, you need to support the liver to help metabolize, detoxify, whatever word you want, the estrogen. We also need to drop your carbs so your corresponding insulin will drop and therefore you won't need or will need less of exogenous testosterone. Okay, so that's a concept you need to etch in stone. So that's big picture. So now you go, well, how do we do some of that? Let me pause for a second and just check my notes. Yeah, I just wanted to check to make sure I didn't say something incorrect. So starting from the top, some of the, and you know, all these ways, even when it comes time, it comes down to using supplements. So people tend to have the prejudice that all supplements are, are healthier and safer than in medicines. That's such a big generalization. I'd have to hold my breath on that one. But for the most part, there have been no deaths due to supplements and there've been plenty of deaths due to medication. So, and there's been plenty of articles written on that. And the CDC does keep track of both of those. And I think a recent study there was uh, within the last few years, 324,000 deaths due to um, medications taken as directed. That's huge. And none of supplements. So that's kind of the end of the argument. But you can run into trouble by taking supplements. I know I certainly have. When we go into medical school, you're eager to try everything and you tend to try too much. So back to low testosterone and the whole idea that it's being sh shunted off to estrogen. And um, so the first thing we're say about that aromatization, now that you know that word, is that yes, you can get an aromatase inhibitor. Uh, that's a reference to a number of medications that do that. And that's basically what uh, I say Western medicine. That's basically what allopathic medicine does. It blocks things to make this change and that change. There's no subtlety about it. It either blocks it or it doesn't block it. So um, that's not exactly how naturopathic medicine works, nor uh, Chinese herbal medicine, both of which I'm uh, educated in. So but there are herbs that were kind of along those lines to slow down the shunting off of the testosterone to the estrogen. So one, you estrogen stays higher longer or stays normal longer, and your estrogen doesn't get uh, as high as quickly. You still need to protect the liver and help metabolize the estrogen. So um, one of those herbs, and it comes in a number of different forms, but the word would be Christen, a C H. R-Y-S-I-N, Christen. And it's a cream and it comes from a flower. That's all interesting, but that is about as close as you can get to an aromatase inhibitor in terms of uh, herbal medication. So that's usually in a cream form and you apply that in that regard. I'm not going to go into doses here. That's kind of above and beyond, but these are just general ideas how these things are, are treated. Um, you also, as I mentioned about, so how do you support the liver to help uh, metabolize, to help to keep what they call, quote, healthy estrogen levels. And the, one of the, probably the most famous supplement is called DIM, which is di-indolomethionine. And it's an extract. It's a compound that is taken from primarily 
cruciferous vegetables. So what are the cruciferous vegetables? They are, cruciferous, by the way, is cross, cross, cruciferous. It means the flower of, looks like a cross. So everything that's related to the mustard family, including mustard, <laughs> is, is in the cruciferous uh, family. It used to be called the brassicas. So what are they? That's your broccoli. It's your cauliflower. It's your cabbage family. I think generally people refer to it as the cabbage family more than anything else. So cabbage family, brassicas, cruciferous, they all have a small little cross flower and that's why they're called that way. So they are fairly high in uh, indole, diindole methionine. And so diindole methionine helps your liver process the estrogen. So now you have your downside protected a little more. Also good zinc levels. So if you're going to supplement with zinc, now we're talking about supporting testosterone. Uh, zinc has to be paired with copper. And why is that? There's a lot of reasons, but we know it. It's usually about a nine to one ratio. Nine of whatever the ratio is, nine of zinc and one of copper. You do, and the word is you don't want to have zinc unopposed. And seldom ever do you give a copper just by itself unless somebody is really copper deficient. And I have seen somebody copper deficient because they were taking zinc for a long period of time without any copper in it. So they became copper deficient. So then you had to rebalance that. Now now we have to watch that because we don't want them to get too high in the copper either. Then we'd be back to just taking a zinc copper supplement if they need anything at all while we're working at their diet. So the other thing to protect the liver I'm going back to the liver. I hope you're getting a visual of what we're trying to do here. Is it is a really old supplement. It's been around for well before I got into medicine. Uh, calcium D-glucurate, and that supports your various detoxification pathways in the liver, specifically to estrogen. And so, therefore, we're keeping our estrogen not low but normal level. We're keeping it from getting high. We're We've changed our diet. I'm pretending we've changed our diet to low-carb, high-fat diet. So we've decreased the amount of testosterone that gets shunted off quickly to estrogen. We've uh, used DIM for the liver again and zinc for the testosterone. What else can we look at there? So on those levels, I'm going to come back to a few other things in a second, but I just want to hit the, the top. Oh, well, along, I should say this along the lines of affecting aromatase, right? Testosterone, aromatase, which is actually a detoxification pathway. Aromatase goes down to estrogen, berberine, and metformin. Metformin's a drug also called glucophage. It's, I don't know if it's the most uh, commonly prescribed drug of all time. It's also very cheap. It's off its patent. That's why it's used all over the place. It's not without its downside. But um, metformin, I'll talk about first, metformin is given to a lot of conditions, hormonal conditions for men and women that have to do with blood sugar problems. So that's why you hear about it in uh, the context of diabetes and prediabetes and so on, that it will help your insulin. It basically makes it difficult for you to produce insulin. It's, it's uh, sorry, not to produce insulin. It, it, it stops your liver for the most part from producing glucose. So it's plugs up your glucagon level of doing things. So it's given so often to, hey, let's just put this in there and they'll find that the glucose levels drop and therefore the insulin levels drop and therefore, you know, we're, we're going to get healthier testosterone levels. Well, berberine is pretty similar. Berberine is often considered very loosely 
there's it's not not you know A equals B here. It's a little bit apples and oranges, but berberine's a natural compound found in a number of herbs, and originally it came from Chinese herbal medicine. And some of the famous formulas, by the way, one's called a four yellows in the garden. It's used for a lot of severe colds and acute situations. But one of the herbs there, that this berberine is is now used in so many different contexts, but it also affects the liver, which is kind of the central to a lot of formulas in Chinese herbal medicine of focusing on the liver, is that it acts in many ways like metformin does. So it prevents the liver from producing glucose or drops that function pretty much completely and therefore drops the level of uh, the required amount of insulin. So it's also considered almost an antibiotic. So in herbal medicine, a compound or an herb is just not one thing. So berberine is a compound and it's found in things like coptis and organ grape and I'll, we'll leave it at that, but there's a few others in Chinese herbal medicine as well that have that in it. So, but the the compound is pretty much down to the molecule level. You know, you're having just this molecule. It's been extracted from plants. Uh, metformin is a synthetic drug that is made, but it's also a compound. So they're pretty interesting, uh, pretty similar in that regard. When you start using an herb, an herb has a lot of different chemicals in it, as which are active, metabolically active. So it has a lot of different functions. So now we're getting to a more general application. And then when we're getting into using different herbs, you have a lot of different compounds. Uh, it's fascinating, but when you think about it, it's much, much, much more complicated. So in Western medicine or allopathic medicine, they go compound A, they are right down to a pill. And other than fillers in that pill, it's exactly that molecule. Really not up until the last... 50 years or so, uh, I should say, you can go back actually to the early 1900s, or could could the process of extracting compounds from plants be so exact that they could just actually give a compound? They could come pretty close. And that's actually where Merck started, the old Merck books. They were the ones that when you went to a pharmacy, you know, it was plants, it was minerals, it was various things that they would roll into little pills for you. So anyway, a little bit of a tangent there, but consider that berberine is very similar to metformin, except berberine has a very gut-associated uh, reaction as well. It will change your microbiome, and people will find that they may be able to do something like a capsule a day, which is usually 500 milligrams, that if they go to two, which is more powerful if they really need to pull down their glucose levels and then their insulin, that that might be too much for them. You know, that they can just stay because it's pretty bitter. It's a very, 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 very bitter compound. And all the herbs like Oregon grape and coptis, otherwise known as golden thread, uh, are very bitter herbs. Okay, so now we've got into some things that you can apply to getting your testosterone up, protecting your liver, and we still have a few things to go. So let me sort of say here, it's all really pretty fascinating I don't want to repeat too much of what I went over last week. We talked last time about certain, you know, what were the reasons that men basically had low testosterone? And one of them was about not having enough muscle mass. And, and it's not just muscle mass. In order to have muscle mass, in order to maintain muscle mass, you actually need to obviously a workout that has to do with resistant exercises. But it's been shown that if you go through 
a short, brief, intense pushing of a weight in various contexts, you know, legs, arms, but it's a short period of really difficult, slow pushing, resisting of the weights. The word intensity, that intensity, something that you cannot do for more than a minute and a half, that's 90 seconds, and not less than about 30 to 40 seconds. If if you're pushing a weight, thinking of, thinking of a chest press, think of overhead, think of a number of things, but if you're working within that window of intensity, you absolutely hit muscle failure before 90 minutes, you will then increase your growth hormone and you also increase your testosterone production. So it's one of those things that from the intensity of it, and that will also cause greater muscle mass. If you keep doing this a couple times a week, times months, you'll see a change. So that is important. So you could generalize and say, well, it's just exercise in general. All exercise is better than no exercise. But once we're getting to something a little more specific and you want to be very focused and say, I want to do things that are going to affect my testosterone level, that would be it. So HIT or slow, high intensity training, resistance training with weights would probably be the most effective. There's no problem about it, by the way. It would be the most effective way for you to increase your testosterone level and your growth hormone level along the way. They go together. So you would have that. At this point, you know, you now know there's things you can take. You now know there's things that you can do on your diet, dropping your carbs, increasing your fat, keeping your protein as we've calculated many other times, and working out. Those two things alone, if you never touched an herbal formula, if you never touched a vitamin, if you never touched a medication like metformin or anything else to control your glucose levels or your insulin levels, if you never did any of that, but you just did the hit, the slow, high-intensity training, and you really did change your diet, ideally to a ketogenic diet, you would see some changes. That alone would be very impressive. Uh, it would be a, a slower change, of course, but you'd really be changing, taking away the biggest obstacles away. To that, we talked about some supplements. That yes, you can slow down the aromatization of testosterone. Yes, you can protect your uh, liver, uh, for the, uh, yeah, protect your liver, help your liver, and leave you with healthy levels of estrogen, all three estrogens. So this is not esoteric, by the way. This is exactly the appointments I'll be having in a couple of days of working with two guys together that have a similar situation. We also, for these guys, that one had very low testosterone and had uh, high estrogen, but wasn't taking any testosterone. So we started with DHEA and just a little bit low. I wanted to see how they'd work with it, which was a hormone that would eventually transfer, be transformed, converted into testosterone. We had some of those measures. We did not do another hormone panel, but we did do other blood level panels to sort of see how other things have worked. The other thing that we brought in, so the biggest rock in the room is the diet, right? Let's get the insulin levels down. So that would be low carb, high fat. The second one is if they were had not worked out or they were formerly an ex-Marine or something like that, or a football player and proud of themselves in the last 10 or 20 years, their lives got busy with family and work and company, whatever, that, well, that muscle needs to be exercised if it's going to stay. So they've probably are low muscle mass. So the second thing would be working out. Uh, the third thing, and maybe they're all co-equal, is that uh, you look at a blood test called homocysteine. Homocysteine seems to correlate with nearly everything. 
but in a something you can do about it. You know, so if you had elevated homocysteine, um, that would say, hey, well, there's a problem going on. And by the way, it's not black or white. It's just like, well, this is something we can address. So I would take homocysteine as a blood test, go and get that done. And if that was elevated, there's very easy things. You would address that by folate, B12, B6, ideally, B2, things like, um, well, if you're a whole foods person, I would just have liver and you get plenty of choline and uh, egg yolks. But I would do choline, B2, B6, folate, B12, and maybe even something like what they call TMG, trimethylglycine. All fancy words to you, I know. But what I'm saying is do the blood test of homocysteine. And if that's high, you've kind of lucked out because now you've found a number of things. That's probably the second biggest rock in the driveway for you to move out of the way to get your car out of the driveway. So the first was diet. Second was muscle mass and intensity training. The third would be looking for homocysteine. If it's elevated, you can take that down and you'll fairly quickly improve your situation fairly quickly. Within four four weeks, six weeks, do another blood test on that one. And you'll probably see some movement in the right direction. If you are getting some movement, meaning it's dropping, uh, you'll probably see an increase in testosterone as well. So those are some actionable things that you can take about looking into increasing your testosterone in a healthy context. Do not just take testosterone, this is my word now, do not just take testosterone with a without working and dropping your uh, insulin levels and B, without protecting your liver uh, over some of the ways we've talked about. It's just something you're going to have to do, okay? It's just a smart way of doing it. Just by taking estrogen, which is estrogen, just by taking testosterone, shot, cream, pill, tablet, is easy to do, but you can get in trouble with that. Okay. So now you got kind of a, a roadmap there of what to do, some things that you can do for yourself. And then what I would say is if you actually are working with a doctor, a naturopath, or somebody who's educated along this line, now the word of functional medicine doctors become almost ubiquitous. And I don't know. You have to go by doctor by doctor, you know, to see if they know what you're talking about. And have somebody sort of guide you through this, because if you're going to be doing any of the things I talked about, you're going to need to have somebody follow up and see if you're moving in the right direction, in the very least to change a dose that you're on. Okay, that's been quite an earful, isn't it? But for me, now you get a piece of my world that is pretty fascinating to look at how you can, and there's a few other steps that maybe we'll have yet a third podcast. I said there would be three last week on some other things we can bring to this level of thinking, but you're not stuck. You know, the, the idea that you there's only one way to treat low testosterone, or if you're actually just thinking of one symptom, which is ED, erectile dysfunction, you know, think bigger. And uh, there's plenty of things we can do that are in a very healthy context to help you uh, regain those levels. Maybe not to the level of your 20, but certainly not far off either, okay? So until next time, hope that was helpful. Good talking with you. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Many of you have, and so what I've done with these questions that I've gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they were overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast either via one of the 
micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So uh, please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email and uh, I will get back to you. One thing I want to say, a number of questions have come in in which I've given this answer and the email didn't work. So just make sure that you're receiving at the same email that you sent it in. And I think that might have been the difficulty. So I look forward to your questions. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that I'm hoping to answer your questions. And I think this world of keto is not just black and white. You know, it's nice that it's simple, but it's not simple for some. I'm really trying to, you know, go down as anybody any of you who have listened to all my podcasts, we started way back when, history and evolution, epilepsy, and so on and so forth. You know, now we're seeing some tremendous overlap in uh, various uh, mental disorders, such as schizophrenia or neurological disorders that are not just epilepsy. And also, just for people in losing weight, it's sometimes pretty complicated for them to engage in keto, and so they need some help. And so that's the whole point of least that's what I think I'm doing, is exploring the world of why are there other factors? So in exploring some of those other factors, we've covered addiction, we've covered hormones, we've covered uh, nutritional deficiencies, we've covered certain metabolic lab results, and we'll go further. We'll even get to more on genome and aspects. So these are all just contributions that make for an obstacle for some people to engage easily in the ketogenic diet. This is my belief, and these are the things that I've discovered, and I think other people have discovered some of these things, but not ever put them together. So stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.